This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Today's message is entitled, How to Deal with Temptation. Would you turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, verses 9 to 18. James chapter 1, verses 9 to 18. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits, of all he created. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts as we look together at your word, and thank you that you do give us a way to deal with temptation. Bless each one in Jesus' name. Amen. In dealing with temptation, I find in this passage four truths that if we're going to deal with temptation, it's by understanding these four truths. Our identity in Christ, what I call royalty, loyalty, understanding temptation's anatomy, how it works, what the process of temptation is, and God's true riches for you. If you understand God's true riches for you versus the counterfeits that Satan offers, you would say no in a heartbeat to Satan's counterfeits because you want God's True riches. Let's then look at what the James says. In James 1, 9 through 11, we have the point about understanding our identity in Christ. James 1, 9 says, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. So the first thing you need to notice is that the kingdom of God is upside down. What you think is important is not important, and what God thinks is important is important. So the poor and the humble in God's kingdom 
are high and important. They're cherished by him. So you may say, oh, poor little old me. No one is going to notice me. What can one person do? I'm just meek and mild and no one knows me. God knows you. In his mind, in his heart, he holds you in high esteem. You are very precious to him. Jesus, when he taught the Beatitudes, said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Unless you admit that you have spiritual poverty, that you are spiritually bankrupt, you can't enter into heaven because you think you could do it by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. You think you can do it by your wonderful personality and charm, by your good looks, and by your big bank account. No. Unless you recognize that your righteousness is but a filthy rag in the eyes of God, and that you need his righteousness, which is received through faith in Jesus Christ, until you say, yes, I am bankrupt, I am broken, I am poor without the Lord, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You need to realize your poor condition. But once you trust in Christ, you are rich in Christ. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to God. You who were poor, you who were humble, are rich and honored by the Lord. Now, just in case you don't think you're rich, we are part of the two-thirds world that is actually very rich, and there's one-third of the world that is extremely poor. So yes, you're not a Rockefeller, you're not a Bezos, you're not uh, uh, one of these super famous wealthy people, but compared to the poor people in the world, you are wealthy. And this word comes to us from verses 10 and 11. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, it bloss the, its blossoms falls, and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will take, fade away even while they go about their business. So, James is saying, just in case you're taking pride in your wealth, don't. You should take pride if you are wealthy. If God has blessed you with a roof over your head and food on your table and clothes on your back, you should be humble, relying on God, realizing that even the breath you breathe is from God. You should be humble, realizing you're not going to live forever, you are mortal, and that like all other people, you're going to die. So in this lifetime, don't take pride in your wealth, but humble yourself and rely on God. You know, we have a motto, in God we trust, on our currency. But really, if the truth be known, we say, in money we trust. And money is so um, brief that it can take up wings and fall, fly right out of our wallet. We can lose money overnight. And for those during the Depression who lost fortunes, many of them leapt from tall buildings to their death. Why? Because they had trusted in their money. They had trusted in their wealth. The Bible says we should be rich 
in good deeds, not in trusting in our wealth. So whether you have little or much, if you're in Christ, you are to be both thanking God that he has raised you up to the status of king's kid in God's forever family, but you should also be humble in relying on him and making this life you have, as brief as it is, count for God through living for him. There's a wonderful proverb in Proverbs 30. Proverbs chapter 30 has this great proverb. It says, Lord, help me not to be too rich, because then I'll forget you. But help me not to be too poor, or else I'll steal and I'll dishonor you. May I be just right. And uh, that is what God wants you to be. He wants you to be just right. In Romans chapter uh, 12, verse 3, it says, Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, but think about yourself with accurate assessment. So I love how Chuck Swindoll had talked about this, that many Christians don't have a problem with thinking of themselves too highly. They actually think of themselves too lowly, like a lowly worm, like Eeyore of um, of Winnie the Pooh fame. Thanks for noticing me. We have that, that woe is me, you know, why is everybody always picking on me, Charlie Brown kind of mentality. And you know what? Stop that thinking. Know who you are in Christ. You are wealthy. You are a co-regent and co-heir with Christ. You have an inheritance in heaven that cannot fail and cannot fade and will not rust and will not uh, uh, um, will always be there for you. You are wealthy in the Lord, and he is with you by his Spirit. So, know your identity in Christ. Why is this important? Because if you don't know who you are, and you're always striving to be something, then the devil has an inroad to tempt you. Do you want to be important? Do you want to be wealthy? Do you want to be well-known? Do you want to have the pleasures of the Hollywood stars? Well, just do this, or just think this, or just act on that. You see how Satan wants to cause the questioning of your identity in order to get an inroad in your life? Know who you are in Christ. You're a child of God. You're a king's kid in God's forever family. Secondly, royalty is in store for loyalty. Understand royalty, loyalty. It says in James 1.12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So yes, we all fail the Lord. And yes, during testings and hardships and persecution, we're tempted to bail, to quit, to desert, to deny, to run. Isn't that what the disciples did? Peter denied the Lord. The other disciples be, um, abandoned the Lord. 
And uh, when Jesus asked Peter and James, uh, James and John to pray while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, they fell asleep. So we are not unlike the disciples. We have clay feet up to our kneecaps. We are very prone to failure and to disloyalty. But you know what? When you examine your heart, no matter how much you've failed, no, much, no matter how much you've struggled, don't you still keep heading back towards the Lord? Don't you still want to hear His Word? Don't you still want to live for Him? Don't you still want to thank Him? That's the sign that there's life inside of you. And so hang on, Sloopy. Hang on for dear life. Because you will be rewarded. It's not because you had a perfect record of loyalty. It's because your heart never ultimately forgot God. You always headed back to Him. And you know, God has such a reward in store for you, you can't even begin to imagine. I was blessed when I read that God is not just going to give you a crown in heaven, like the crown of life, but he's going to unfold rewards upon you for all eternity. That's how much God loves you. He wants to reward you and continue to reward you and bless you for all eternity. God loves you. Hang on to him. Remember Job? Job experienced the most incredible heartbreaks and yet he remained loyal to the Lord, and he has the crown of life. So that's what I'm talking about. Royalty, loyalty. This goes back to your identity in Christ. Who are you in Christ? Say it with me. You're a king's kid in God's forever family. Let's say that again. You're a king's kid in God's forever family. Let's say, I am. I am a king's kid in God's forever family. If you know that you're a king's kid in God's forever family and there's a hardship or there's a temptation, what should a king's kid do? Go to the king. Rely on the king. Walk with the king, as um, Dr. Cook would say. Walk with the king. Praise the Lord. We've got great people who have gone before us. Third, you need to understand temptation's anatomy if you're going to deal with temptation. It's kind of like that fish was swimming along in the water, just minding its own business, when suddenly a hook falls into the water. It gets its attention because it's flashy, because there's a bait that's on the hook, and it looks yummy. And the fish goes towards it. And is thinking, should I bite or should I not bite? And it says, boy, I'm hungry. That looks awfully good, awfully attractive. I want that. Yes, I do want that. And it bites. And it's got this hook that sticks to its lip. And it gets, it's fighting for all it can to get away. And it gets pulled in and then put in a frying pan and eaten up. And that is the picture of temptation. There's the bait, then there's the desires within us that rise up in response to that bait looking good and looking tasty. And then we agree. At one point, we agree in our minds, that's something I want. 
but the desires are evil and foolish urges that are trying to convince us you're nothing without this. You are incomplete without this. That's why Satan's trying to work on your identity. He doesn't want you to think yourself as a king's kid. He wants you to think as a pauper, and you need more, please, more. And he gets you. Next thing you know, you're hooked and cooked. And you don't want that. So let's read here where it just talks about the anatomy of temptation. James 1, 13 to 15. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now let's talk about the definition of temptation. See if you can relate. Temptation is something you want to have or do even though you know you shouldn't. Today, I was tempted. Charlie had made oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. Homemade. And to honor Charlie, I ate one. It was really good. It was chock full of chocolate chips. It was so good, I said, should I eat a second one? Next thing I know, I was eating a second one. And I said, should I eat a third one? Next thing you know, I ate a third one. I could not resist temptation, even though I know I shouldn't have done it. Now, it took a lot of guts to make that confession, but I'm trying to relate to the fact that we all struggle with temptation, don't we? Another definition of temptation is to entice to do wrong by promise of pleasure or gain. Do you know why Eve partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, even though God said not to do that? Because the serpent said, you will be like God. He made a promise. You'll know what God knows. You'll be like a God yourself. Don't you want to be important? Don't you want to be God? And she, because she saw the beauty of it, and she saw it looks like it's going to taste delicious, and because she wanted this knowledge that God had, she partook of the fruit. There was a promise of pleasure and of gain, and she partook. Temptation implies the presenting of an attraction so strong that it overcomes the restraints of conscience or better judgment. It's after the fact you say, why did I do such a stupid thing? Why did I do that? Well, because the attraction, the allurement was so strong. A few other definitions of temptation. Temptation is a thing of, or course of action that attracts or lures someone, as we saw. And the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise, it's a situation in which one experiences a challenge to choose between fidelity and infidelity to God. Again, it's a loyalty issue. And that brings up the next question, which is, what's the difference between temptation and testing? Satan tempts us so that we'll do wrong. God tests us so we'll do right. So God, when he puts us through a test, is giving us 
a, a wonderful opportunity to say, Lord, though you test me, I'm going to hang on to you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to look to you. So a test is to um, bring out the best in us, and a temptation is to bring out the worst in us. That's the difference between temptation and testing. So from this we can see that if we're tempted, it's not the same as doing sin. Temptation is not sinning. It's giving in to temptation that's sin. So sin is when you knowingly agree with the sinful desire that lives in your human nature. When you say, yes, I'm going to act on that evil impulse, then you sin. You've moved from temptation to sin. When you say, yes, I'm going to uh, act on that foolish urge, that foolish thing, then you move from temptation to sin. So to do sin is something you choose to do, and sin cannot happen if you do not agree with it. So there may be a temptation, but you say, that's not for me. I'm a king's kid. So if you don't agree with the evil or foolish urge, and you say, that's not what a king's kid would want, then you have killed and nipped in the bud the power of that temptation. Does that make sense? Okay. So sins are seeds that you uh, plant and, and you'll harvest a crop. So sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will leave you so lost you'll lose hope. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. So you don't want to give Satan an inch because he'll be a ruler. But um bump You don't want to give Satan an inch because then he thinks he's a ruler. All right. For those who get it, you understand what I'm saying. The point here is, what if we said no to temptation because we have something greater from God? So Shirley took issue with Nancy Reagan when she said something like, just say no to drugs. She says, that doesn't make any sense. In order to say no to something, you have to say yes to something even greater. So to say no to temptation, you have to say yes to what God has for you. And that's the next point. The temptation alternative is God's gifts, God's word, and our birth fruitfulness. It says in James 1, 16 to 18, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So when it says, do not be deceived, right there it forms a contrast. Which would you rather have? The counterfeit that Satan is offering you that may taste good to your lips and in your mouth, but as soon as it goes down, it makes your stomach sour. You're nauseous with guilt and regret and with self-loathing. Why? Because you accepted that cheap substitute that Satan offered. You could choose to do that. Or you can choose not to be deceived and instead receive what God has for you. 
You see, God, and this is very important, in the original Greek, it says in verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, and the word coming is in the present tense, meaning continuous. It's continuously coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. What does this say? It says, God is constantly pouring out blessings on you. God is constantly providing everything that you need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. God is your shepherd and you have everything you need. You do not want, because, or you're not lacking because you're a king's kid. You're not a beggar. So which will it be? Will you accept the counterfeit that Satan offers that's a, a short win with, with brief pleasure but with lots of fallout and negative consequences? Or will you wait upon and receive what the Lord has for you, which truly meets your needs, which truly builds you up, which lasts and satisfies and which um, brings glory to him? Now, how do we know God is going to come through? Because he's not shifty. He doesn't change. He's immutable. He's solid. He's trustworthy. He is dependable. And because of that, he's given us birth through the word of truth, because he only speaks the truth, and we are his first fruits that he created. We are the prototype in process of what it looks like to be a king's kid of God's forever family. Isn't that wonderful? Don't forget who you are. You're a king's kid in God's forever family. Are you going to be tempted by trash that's offered to you as food? Or are you going to wait for God to provide a banquet to give you your daily bread that will truly satisfy? Say no to Satan and yes to God. Satan is not equal to God. He's less. He's a created being. He is, in, um, he is um, not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere present. God is God. Receive from him because he's continuously pouring blessing out. So dealing with temptation involves four things. I'm going to put it in a different way, but I hope that this brings it home to you. Number one, you want to deal with temptation, you must humbly rest in who you are in Christ. Instead of striving, you're trusting. Instead of feeling incomplete or inadequate, you realize you are complete in Christ. Then the, then the devil doesn't have a foothold, a, a way to grab you and jerk you around. Second, dealing with temptation involves Choosing loyalty to God when you're tempted or tested. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, there's this interesting phrase, lead us not into temptation. Some people have a big problem with that because doesn't the Bible say here in James, God doesn't lead anybody into temptation. Why do you have to pray to him? Don't lead me into temptation. Well, if you look at that carefully, the Lord's Prayer, there's parallelism. It says, lead us really away from temptation, just as you will deliver us from the evil one. And in my book, there's two levels here. 
If I let the Lord lead me away from temptation by taking the way of exit that he gives me when temptation comes, then I don't get into bondage that he has to break me out of to deliver me from the evil one. Does that make sense? That there's a progression here. Lead me away from temptation and deliver me from the strongholds from the devil that I've allowed and fallen into. So that's what you're praying. You're not saying, Lord, I know you tempt people. No, God's not tempting anybody. He tests us to show our metal, M-E-T-T-L-E, what we're made of, that we do believe in him, that we do love him voluntarily, that we do want to be committed to him all of our lives. Even when we fail, we keep on looking to him. Yes, he does test us, but he doesn't tempt us. When Jesus was cannonballed into the wilderness after his baptism, at his baptism, he heard his identity. This is my son whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. Identity. Then he was cannonballed into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. The same word temptation is trial. He was tested. Why? Because the three temptations that Satan tried against him all failed. It proved his loyalty. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.